My name is Craig, and it's a joy and a privilege for me to serve on the leadership here at Riverside Community Church. And so to all of you who are in, uh, engaging with us from wherever you are in the world, just a welcome from me. It's so good that you join us. And to all of you who are here in person, it's so good to see you this morning. Have you ever used this phrase at some point in your life? It wasn't supposed to be like this. By that response, it seems that you have and have used it on multiple occasions, right? Because in your life, you start out with a plan. You think, this is what I want my life to look like. This is where I'm going with business. This is where I'm going with relationships. You kind of work out what you think life is going to look like. But I think one of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is that we can somehow affect the outcome of tomorrow, that we have control over what's going to happen. Because how many of us have started out with a plan and it ended up being nothing like what we had hoped for? Because unexpected things happen. Sometimes things happen that we weren't expecting that uh, cause pain and are a bit of a crisis for us. For many of us, the last 18 months have been like that, where we have experienced so much difficulty. Our health has taken a knock. Businesses have taken a knock. But also, we just go through periods where life is really, really difficult. But one of the things that we find is that sometimes when that happens, we don't really know how to begin to process those emotions that come when we hit a difficult time in our lives. Now, I love this quote by an American pastor by the name of Tim Keller. And he said this, is every emotion should be expressed in prayer. Every emotion should be expressed in prayer. Because what happens is when we hit a difficult time in our lives, we often don't know how to kind of deal with our anger before the Lord. We don't know how to deal with our fears, our frustrations, our concerns. And what happens is we end up having quite stunted uh, lives when it comes to engaging with our Father. Because, you know, one of the lies is when we come to church and when we engage with Christians, everything's supposed to be always okay. You know, you, you can't be angry with God. You know, you can't vent and, and express frustration and hurt and your, your fears. You know, everything's supposed to always be good. But no, we can. Lord, now, man, we love the corporate space here on a Sunday. There is nothing like the gathering of the Lord's people in his name, to hear the, his word being uh, preached and worshiping him. And we work really hard for this to happen, but it's to happen to set you up for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Obviously, corporate and being together in community is incredible, but we have a God who engages with us in this space and personally. We have a God who speaks to us in this space, but he also speaks to us personally. And so we have this opportunity to engage with him. But if we don't know how to wrestle with all our emotions and to deal with everything we're experiencing with him, our lives are going to be stunted when it comes to engaging the fullness of what we have with the Lord. So we're embarking on a new series called Worship 
in the midst of. Worship in the midst of our fears. Worship in the midst of our crisis. Just worship in the midst of everything that is our lives. And the way we're going to be doing that is by looking at the life of a key Old Testament figure called David. Now, you, I'm sure if I say the name David, most of you are going to know something about this Old Testament key figure, King David. What's maybe the most common story that everyone gets told about David? Goliath, the giant. We know it, right? That's almost like stock standard. Maybe a, a more common one is the affair that he had with um, uh, Bathsheba. But there's so much to his life that we're going to dig into over the next few weeks. See, David wrote most, or not most, a significant portion of a book in the Bible called Psalms. And so while I'm kind of introing this, why don't you, if you've got a Bible here, you need to find two places and maybe get out two bookmarks if you've got a paper Bible, uh, because we're going to be camping out in 1 Samuel, and you can find 1 Samuel 19. Uh, Don't be ashamed to use your contents page if you need to find 1 Samuel and then Psalms. We're going to be there for the next few weeks, so you can go ahead and bookmark that. And so we're going to be in 1 Samuel 19 today and Psalm 59. See, what uh, we see in the life of David and and why we love David so much is uh, Scripture calls him and, and refers to him as this, a man after God's own heart. As king... Every other king that came after him was compared to him. He was the standard of what it was to be the king over God's people. Yes, there were many ups and downs and things that he had to work through. But when we get to some specific Psalms, like what we're going to see in Psalm 59, they connect directly to a historical account of his life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to read... In 1 Samuel, we're going to see what he was going through, and then we're going to go to the song that he wrote, how he used and and handled that situation in his life, and how it worked itself out in his prayer and in his worship. And then we're going to see how we can do the same. So a little bit of a snapshot and a bit of, uh, I'm going to bring you up to speed. I'm going to go for about a minute. I'm going to take us through about 19 chapters of 1 Samuel. So David is the youngest of eight brothers. Dad's name is Jesse. And there was a prophet. His name was Samuel. There is a king in Israel. His name is Saul. Saul messes up. He doesn't obey the Lord. God rejects him as king over his people, and he tells the prophet Samuel, go, and I'm going to show you who the new king is. So the Lord leads him, tells him to go to Jesse's house. Uh, Jesse brings out his kids, and the prophet is about to see which one the Lord is going to lead him to anoint as king. And if you know the story, he goes through, and he's like, do you have another son? And he's like, you can't surely mean David. He's out tending the sheep, but this young shepherd boy is anointed king. A little bit after that, he's grown up a bit, and there's war with the Philistines. Uh, He goes to take 
his brothers who are fighting some food to find them hiding because there is this giant who's making nonsense and noise and uh, tuning out God and his people. And uh, David goes, this is nonsense. And uh, he goes up and he defeats uh, the giant. Becomes a big fan, or Saul becomes a big fan of him. He enters into the army. Fast forward a number of years, they do a big military campaign. They come back into Jerusalem and they line up the streets and they start to sing a song. And the song goes along the lines of Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And that's where things start to go a little bit pear-shaped for David as his relationship with Saul gets a little bit rocky. And this is where we pick up in 1 Samuel 19 verses 11 and 12. Right now, everything has been going incredibly well for David, this anointed king, giant slayer, incredible uh, military prowess, and the hand of the Lord has been on him significantly. He's on this great upward trajectory of his life. Everything seems to be going exceptionally well for him. Enter this situation, verse 11. Saul sent men to David's house to watch him, And to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him. If you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michal let David down through a window. And he fled and escaped. Now... I don't know what situation you are going through in your life. And we never compare... Uh, the difficulties we each go through. But his life has just been turned upside down. From the anointed king, great military leader, having a string of incredible results that he can look back on, all of a sudden he has found out that soldiers are watching the house and when he walks out his gate in the morning, he is going to be killed. This great guy, the anointed king has to be let out a window and he is now on the run for his life. He is in the middle of a crisis. Things are now been turned upside down. They have gone pear-shaped. The pawpaw has hit the fan for him and he has now become an outlaw. And this is going to be the start of a significant period of his life where he is hunted and he is being pursued Because people want to end his life. And this is what causes him to write Psalm 59. And so if you can turn there into this chapter. Now it's not all going to come up on the screen. This is long. And I want you to hear these words. Right? This is a song. And uh, it starts off with the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David and Mitcham, a musical term, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. So he is reflecting on this crisis in his life. And he then writes these words. So let's hear them. And then we're going to pull out some incredible things from the psalm. So from verse one, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. See how they lie in wait for me. 
fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, O Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs, and prowl around the city. See what they spew from their mouths. They spew out swords from their lips. And they say, who can hear us? But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You scoff at all those nations. O my strength, I watch for you. O God, you are my fortress, my loving God. God will go before me and will be and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But do not kill them, O Lord, our shield. Or my people will forget in your might. Make them wander about and bring them down for the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips. Let them be caught in their pride for their curses and the lies they utter. Consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more. Then it will be known to the ends of the earth that God rules over Jacob. They return in the evening snarling like dogs and they prowl about the city. They wander about for food and they howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. O oh, my strength, I will sing to you. O oh, God, you are my fortress, my loving God. Now, there is a stack load in there. And just uh, some very interesting things. Uh, poetry happens to make up as much as one third of all of Scripture. Now, I don't know how you feel about poetry, but that's something that is, is maybe not so common. And, um, you know, especially if you're a guy... And uh, it's not something you maybe like boast about. Hey, I'm into poetry. But David being uh, one of the titles given to him is this warrior poet. And this incredible ability to translate his experiences into incredible worship. And so let's go through this poetry. Now, one of the things we don't do is... Um, We don't see maybe the rhyming intent of the author because this was written in Hebrew. And I'm not going to put up the Hebrew poetry and go through that so you can see where it rhymes and where all the, you know, the technical poetry points are in this. And we're also not going to pull too much maybe deep theology because it's poetry. But the point is to see what he was going through and how he connected that to the Lord and how he was able to worship in the midst of having to run for his life because people were out hunting him. So there are three things that we're going to pull out from this. And so from verse 3, See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me. For no offense or sin of mine, I've done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look at my plight, O Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel. One of the things that we see in this psalm, and if you read through all the psalms, is the writers of psalm, and here in David, never hide their emotions. 
And this is the first point that I want to bring out for you if you're taking notes, is that it's the most ridiculous thing to try and hide your emotions from God. Let's just think about the foolishness of that for a second. Right? God knows what's in your heart. Can we hide any feeling from Him? Can we hide our anger from Him? Can we hide our fear? Can we hide our frustrations? Can we hide our concerns? We can't. David never does. He brings out before the Lord what's going on. He is able to address the full reality of his circumstances as he is engaging in the Lord in worship and in song. And if we can't do that, we're going to have stunted uh, personal relationships with the Lord. If we can't be honest with our own emotions and actually say to the Lord, God, I'm scared. God, I'm scared about what's going on. God, I have fear about what's going to happen with my family. God, I don't know what tomorrow is going to hold for me. God, I'm angry at what happened in this relationship. God, I'm angry at what's happening to me at work with these people. If we don't know and and can't bring that out, we're never going to work through these things and experience the fullness of the Lord working in our lives. Remember that quote at the beginning by Tim Keller, every emotion should be expressed in prayer, and in worship. So it is foolish for us to hide our emotions from the Lord. We can go and say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on. We don't have to hide those things from him. Then I I just love the imagery that is being pulled out of here and how he is describing the situation. And I love how the image comes up twice about these soldiers that are trying to kill him being uh, like snarling, prowling dogs that are going through the city. A number of years ago, Inez and I were in uh, Turkey, and we were visiting a couple of cities, and there was one particular city that we were in and uh, we were doing a bit of an afternoon walk with some people, and we kind of came around this, this corner, and there, running down the streets, was a wild pack of dogs. And not like three or four that had gotten off the leash. I'm talking about a, a pack of about 30 dogs that came running down the streets. Now, I, I don't know how, like what emotions that might bring up in you, but I went cold very quickly. Because you know what a pack of wild dogs or a pack of dogs could do as they're sniffing, looking, kind of hunting and and moving as this pack through the city. They're looking for something. And as David is is referring to them and creating the image in our mind, these prowling dogs who are going through the city looking for him, that kind of creates quite a strong, powerful image. But go to verse 9 and verse 10. And I love this. It's just, I I, I get pumped up when I read this because this shows me so much about why David was called a man after God's own heart. Kind of a bit of of a refrain in the psalm. He says, you are my strength. I watch for you, God, my fortress, my God on whom I rely. Now here is kind of, the parallel that's running in the psalm. There are people looking and watching for David. Men have been sent to watch for him in the morning 
so that they can kill him. He's escaped. They've come back to the city. They're like prowling dogs going through the city, trying to find him. If you are David, who are you watching for? If this is your situation, you're looking for the people trying to kill you. Except David doesn't say that. He's not watching for them. I love this so much. He says, oh my God, my strength. I watch for you. God, you are my fortress. The God in whom I rely. Man, I get so excited. One of my favorite images in all of scripture is the one of fortress. Right, David is a soldier, so he understands defensible positions. We understand the image and think of any maybe uh, war movie that you've seen where someone's in a strong defensible position, you've got the upper hand. And even then, just the, the imagery that he's creating here, we know that David is on the run, yet he is in his fortress. Kind of just see what he's talking about and how he is drawing on the Lord and, and, and how he is describing his relationship with God. You are my fortress. He has stepped into his place of safety, his defendable position while he is on the run from the snarling pack of dogs that are searching for him in the city, these soldiers that are trying to get him. He says, I will watch for you. Now, this is just powerful, powerful language. How can David say, I will watch for you the certainty that he knows his God is going to come through for him because he says, I can rely on you. How can he say that? Well, let's quickly look back at his life. Remember, you spoke about the story that we all know so well, Goliath. What were his credentials as a young boy to say, I can go up against this giant? His credentials were this, I used to look after sheep. Some lions came and some bears came and the Lord delivered me from the lions. The Lord has delivered me from bears. And so the Lord will deliver me from this Philistine. He knows that God has always been there for him, that God has always had his hand on his life, that God has always intervened and saved him. And so he's seen God save him from a lion. He's seen God save him from a bear. God delivered him from the hand of the giant Goliath. And now as men are hunting him, he goes, God, I'm going to watch for you, my fortress, because I can rely on you. And so this is the second point that we can pull out from this that you can write down. Is in a time of crisis, David remembers he remembers what God has done. And as you are facing a crisis, and I don't know what it is, point number one is don't hide what you're going through before the Lord. He knows anyway. He knows your emotions. But as you're engaging with him, see what David has done here, how he remembers. Because David writes in the Psalms, there's things that he writes like this. I was young and I was old, and this I know to be true. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. 
He wrote, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He always remembers. Inez and I also often use language like this to help kind of frame the hard times that we go through. We talk about this, we remember. And so we use language like this. This is really hard. This is really hard, but the Lord is going to help us. His help doesn't mean it's going to be a snap of a finger. And if it's financial that we uh, struggle to be going through, it's not that God's going to just snap and it's a mansion on the hill. It doesn't always uh, happen like that. But what we do know is we never get forsaken. And that the Lord always intervenes for those who trust him and love him and are his children. So for those of us who are going through a crisis, David, he just knows. He just goes, I watch for you. Because God, I rely on you. And so I am going to see your hand move. And so one of the most helpful things to do that enables us to worship in the midst of whatever crisis we are going through is to be able to remember what the Lord has done in the past. Because one thing that happens is when crisis hits, man, his wife came into him and said to him, get out the window now, start running because you're going to die. He had no time to plan or anything. Sometimes crisis hits us that fast. And it can cause us to become very unsettled. And we can start to run around like a headless chicken. What's going on? What can I do? What's going to happen? But take a deep breath and remember. Remember the Lord who has gotten me through every single one of my worst days. Who has gotten all of us sitting here through the worst of our days. He steps into his fortress. He expects the Lord to come through. He's watching for the Lord to help him. And he can rely on the Lord. So if you are battling, you have a fortress to step into, which is the maker of heaven and earth, our God and Savior who spoke creation into being, who calls us his child and encourages us to call him Abba Father. And as he keeps going through the psalm, he gets to verse 17. And here's where point number three for us is we learn how to worship in the midst of whatever we are going through. Verse 17 says, Oh, my strength, I sing praise to you. You, oh God, my fortress, my loving God. Now, again, this language comes up. My fortress, my strength. In the first refrain, he says, I will watch for you. And now he says, I will sing praise to you. Remember what's going on, right? His wife has let him out the window. This is why you should always be nice to your wife, maybe. Yeah, she had a chance to really sort David out, but she warns him and then helps him escape. So, man, just a side point for you. Always be nice to your wife. He is on the run. Things are terrible. His situation has become a complete crisis. He says, I will sing praise to you. 
He writes a song declaring his praise to the Lord. How on earth is he able to say, I will praise you while men are prowling around the city, hunting him, forcing him to go on the run and become an outlaw? Because the Lord is always worthy of praise. One of the mistakes that we make is that our circumstances determine if the Lord is worthy of praise or not. That is utter nonsense. Because the Lord never leaves us and he never forsakes us. He is always worthy of praise. Which brings us to this kind of our conclusion with this. is the one thing that David didn't have, which we have this morning, is the greater David, the son of David, Jesus who also spent a lot of time praying. And we think about his, one of his greatest prayers, which was the night before his crucifixion, as he didn't flee from his enemies, but dealt with the Father and confronted them on the cross, where he defeated our greatest enemies of sin, shame, and death. The reason we can worship no matter what our circumstances are is because we need to see in the greater picture of things where our circumstances are placed right now. We often talk about this, uh, Steve and I, is this. Here is the death of Jesus on the cross in our place for our sin. Here is the empty tomb where he destroyed death and walked out victorious. Over here is the ascension where he went to the Father. And over here is when he is coming back again. Our lives are here. Whatever we are going through is framed by the empty cross, the empty grave, and Jesus at the right hand of the Father where he's coming back to make everything new. And so, yeah, I'm not uh, watering down the crisis that you are facing right now. I'm not undermining the pain that you are feeling, but I'm showing you, and even with myself, that I have to remind myself that it is between the cross and the glorious return of Jesus, which means I will always worship because no matter what happens in my life, I am a child of God because Jesus when I was dead in my sin, has made me alive again in Christ, and I am in relationship with Jesus. And nothing will ever change that. There is, it's a physical impossibility for anything to undo what I have in Jesus. And so because of what is going on in my life, I can and will worship in the midst of it. I will take my emotions to the Lord. I'm going to remember what he has done. And I will sing his praises because of where my life is placed. And so we're going to do that as a declaration. Uh, the worship team is going to come up and uh, they're going to lead us in a song. And I want it to be a response this morning. I am aware that many of us are struggling. The last few months have been an incredible wind in our sails as we have been able to gather again in person. We are facing a pending uh, lockdown where we might not be able to have this for a while. And so we are going to be going back to doing church in our homes. And, and many of us are going to be feeling the aloneness of our faith, which is why this has maybe come at a very good time for us to really step into and take the step. Well, I am going to worship 
I am going to pray. I'm going to take my faith from corporates and into Monday to Saturday in a way I never have before. And we're going to have time. The worship, uh, the, the ministry team are available to pray with you if you are really struggling with whatever is happening in your life. But let's stand and declare the praises of God no matter what we're going through because He alone is worthy of all that He has done.